Christianity, every single discrepancy issue that I found when you take them to the Lord, you lay them before him and you do some research, it's amazing. I have yet to find one mistake. And I've, believe me, I've tried. Like, I love the Lord, I'm still like, Lord, you gotta prove it. Like, I know it's true, but if it's not true, I wanna know, because I only wanna know the truth. And I'll be honest, I've gone deep into some stuff. And God has never fallen short, not one dime. Maybe you're a skeptic about Jesus. You're wondering about possible contradictions in the Bible. As Pastor Daniel teaches, you'll hear a solution for that, the Word. Spend time reading Scripture. Consider the context. Listen to what it says. You'll be challenged today to examine whether your doubt is coming from honest questions or a deeper heart problem. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, The Presence of the Lord. mistake God's blessing in mourning. Because you know what the Psalms say? It says, though the sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. There's a part of our lives that need to be brokenhearted. There's part of who we are as followers of Jesus that need to say, God, I want you to break my heart. I, I want my heart to break at my own struggles, at the struggles of the people around me, at the ills of this world, the things that, Lord, you want to fix, that you're dreaming of raising up your people to fix. It's just such a strange contrast. In 32, they're partying, having a blast. Chapter 33, God shows up and they're mourning. And then they don't put on their ornaments. They have to realize that in that culture, in that Near Eastern culture, that when people were in mourning, there was always some sort of an outward observance. So in the Bible, you things like sackcloth and ashes. Now you got to realize sackcloth and ashes was not putting on like your Sunday best. It was clothing that was symbolic of mourning. Sackcloth was very uncomfortable. Ashes literally, they'd rub dirt on their head. And they're saying, I am as low as the dirt in mourning. So by them not putting on their ornaments, now, don't miss the reality that that golden calf was made with golden earrings. So they're saying, look, I'm going to have an outward observance, an outward display of what's going on in my heart. I'm not going to get done up. It'd be like a woman on her wedding day wears one thing and a woman at her husband's funeral wears another thing. Now, imagine if a woman at her husband's funeral wore what she wore on the wedding day. Someone would be like, we need to have an intervention, right? Like, that's just not appropriate for this situation. And that's exactly by taking off their ornaments, by not getting dressed the way they know. They're saying, look, I'm showing you outwardly what's going on inwardly. My heart is broken because God's saying he's not going to come with us. And look what it says in verse 5. It says, for the Lord said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, Take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. He's like, look, 
See, this is why in Hebrews it says it's, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I mean, it's amazing. That's in the New Testament. Because God's saying, look, if I come up in your midst because of your rebellion, I can consume you. Because our God is a consuming fire. He is God, almighty, all-powerful, and righteous, perfect, and holy. So the children of Israel, they take off their ornaments. Now look at what happens in verse 7. More consequences. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked to Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friends, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now, because of what's gone on, before God was meeting with all the people, and now Moses literally takes his tent and separates himself from the people outside the camp, far away. See, Moses is showing that because of what's gone on, because of his concern for the people, he did not feel that God could meet with him in the midst of the people, so he separated himself. And I think it's an important application for us. Now, I want to make sure I, I place this in the right spot. The reason God has grabbed hold of your life is because he loves your friends and your coworkers enough to put his spirit in you so that you can help them come to know Jesus. Okay? But at the same time, there are certain circumstances where the only proper thing to do is complete separation. To pull you say, look, I need to, I cannot be involved in this. See, because the presence of God and the presence of rebellion, the two can't walk together. So we need to find, and I call it a sweet spot, because I never, when someone get, comes to know Christ, I never say, listen, you got to get rid of all your friends and only have church friends. I think that's terrible. That's not why God saved us. God says, look, I saved you, and I love all your friends, your family, your co-workers, and I don't want you to be like in a cult where you're just like, I'm only with these people. You got saved so that those people would have a witness in their midst. Somebody who is God is working on. Somebody who's not perfect, but is like, look, God's doing a work in my life. So we have to... Be careful not to abandon all the people that God wants to reach. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we're not in situations that are destructive as well. So there are some times where you have to say, look, I love you. I just can't hang with you right now. Because what you're doing is hindering my walk. And so Moses literally physically removes himself. This is before the tabernacle's even been built. So where God is meeting with Moses is Moses' own tent. And Moses is not staying with his tribe or with the people. He's in a completely different place outside. And notice what happens. I mean, it says far from the camp. When someone wanted to seek the Lord, they went out to the tabernacle of meeting. Whereas before God was right in the middle of them, now God's outside and they have to go out and find him. 
And that's one of the consequences of rebellion. And I think we need to talk about this because, like I said, we all struggle with rebellion. Even right now, the person in here who's walking the strongest with Jesus still has a totally rebellious heart in a million ways. And we're saved by sheer grace. But when we choose to act out on that rebellion in habitual action of whatever sort it is, whether it's judgmentalism, whether it's lying, stealing, cheating, sexual immorality, drugs and alcohol, you name it, whatever it is, when we live a life of habitual rebellion, at some point when we want to spend time with God, we have to go find God. Not because he's gone, but because there's been a relational severing because of our rebellion. And so we've strayed away and we have to come back and find God. See, before the children of Israel, God was just in their midst. And now they have to go out to seek the Lord. And so we have to be careful with our own rebellion because it does have consequences. And I don't know how many times in my own life as I've grown and struggled in life in the Lord, how many times, like those times I'm like, Lord, I just, I miss you. And the Lord's like, well, you're the one who's gone away. And it takes time to restore that relationship to what I remember it once was. Because things happen and, the, and those rebellions break us apart. We can't get snatched out of his hand. But there is an experiential difference. Not a positional difference, but an experiential difference. And I think that's what it is. See, when we're saved, we're, our position changes from guilty to not guilty. But as we're growing, we're being sanctified by faith. That's our experience side of it. Our experience of who God is. And that is what gets hairy when we start struggling with habitual sin. Is that now all of a sudden, yeah, our position is saying we're still saved. But our experience is radically different. And what's interesting is I know that each one of you know exactly what that's like, right? We've all been there. Where you, you know you love the Lord. You know Jesus is perfect. You know you're a sinner saved by grace. But your experience of the presence of God and the grace of God is so radically different. And so now the children, they have to go out to go find the Lord. And notice, Moses, he's blessed. Whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle and all the people rose. So literally, every time they saw Moses going to the tabernacle meeting out on the hillside or wherever it was, everyone rises and goes out to the door of their tent. And everyone's watching from a distance. And when Moses entered this tabernacle meeting, that cloud, that visible presence of God fell upon it. And notice this. And the Lord talked with Moses. And when they saw that cloud descend on Moses' tent, they all stood in their doors and worshipped. But from a distance. Remember we've been talking about the, the tabernacle and all the different rooms and the furniture and how it's all about God being close. And now, because of what's gone on, Moses is in the presence of God and they're worshipping at a distance. It's a tragic chapter. It's an experience that we all understand. And, and it's amazing because look what happens in verse 11. And verse 11 is slightly controversial. It says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now, people struggle with verse 11 because it says that Moses talked to the Lord face to face. And someone's bound to say, well, the Apostle John in 1 John 4, 12 said, no one has seen God at any time. And so how can I say Moses 
spoke to the Lord face to face. And Numbers 12, 8 and the rest of this chapter help us understand. Look what it says in Numbers 12, 8. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord when they were not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. You got to realize that this was in a different culture. So the way we think about language is different from the way the children of Israel did. So when they say, I speak to him face to face, he means I speak in very common terms, plain terms. It's not convoluted at all. It's mouth to mouth, not in dreams, not in visions, clearly and directly. So people want to say, oh, the Bible's wrong. But what's interesting is if you actually read it, Moses sees him face to face. And then in five verses, God's going to say, look, you can't see me or you'll die. So I'm going to, I'm going to cover you. You can see my, you can see my back. So we want to make sure that if you're trying to prove the Bible wrong, well, that's a heart problem. And, and I've been there. You know what I mean? There's some people like, oh, there it is. I don't have to believe the Bible. I don't have to believe in Jesus. I'm going to do whatever I want. See, that's just called rebellion run amok. But if you're actually, and I want to encourage you because, listen, I was a, what I would call an unnuanced unbeliever, which means I just didn't want to be a believer. So I came up with every cockamamie thing and I heard something and I, you know, this was long before the new atheist. So I just made up all these things that I thought were silly and I tried to characterize them. But if you actually study the word and you, if you're going to be a, a skeptic, at least be an intellectually honest skeptic. That's my prayer. So if you're in here today and you don't want to believe in Jesus, that's fine. But be intellectually honest about it by actually knowing what you're talking about. Like Richard Dawkins, the man who wrote the New York Times bestseller, The God Delusion. He's one of the forefront of what I would call a rabid atheist, right? If you read his book, and I don't know that I would recommend it unless you're interested in, in reading what people say. A Sunday school kid in third grade in Crossroads knows that a lot of the things that he's saying about Jesus just isn't true. Like, it's just, it's like for a guy who's got so many degrees, you'd think he'd actually read the Bible and think about it a little bit. But the thing is, he, just, he doesn't want to believe in Jesus. That's the thing. And he, he, he said, he's a scientist. He says, well, if Jesus was really real, I, for one, would be very disappointed. I'm like, well, that's religion. That is not biology. That's not science. Listen, if you want to be a skeptic, that, that's between you and yourself and God. But be an intellectually honest one by actually knowing what you're skeptical about. Because there's nothing worse than when someone just says, oh, I don't want to believe the Bible because it says that Moses spoke to the Lord face to face. And, and, and it says in John that no one's seen God... At any time, and so those two are irreconcilable. The Bible's wrong. It's like, well, no, you got to actually read the rest of the chapter. Read the rest of the chapter. Because what, know what I found? Because I didn't grow up in the church, it wasn't like I, I was wired for Christianity. Every single discrepancy issue that I found, when you take them to the Lord, you lay them before him, and you do some research, it's amazing. I have yet to find one mistake. And I've, believe me, I've tried. Like, I love the Lord. I'm still like, Lord, you got to prove it. Like, I know it's true, but if it's not true, I want to know, because I only want to know the truth. And I'll be honest, and I've gone deep into some stuff. And God has never fallen short. Not one dime. So many of them are like, well, you got to explain this. It makes no sense. No sense at all. And when God starts to speak, you're like, well, Lord, I'm sorry that I don't realize what I don't know. If you want to be skeptical, fine, but be honest about it. Really say, why am I skeptical? What is really keeping me from, from making an honest intellectual decision about the Bible, about God, about Jesus? But taking verse 11 and saying, oh, this is why I can't 
believe the Bible? No, no. You got no wiggle room there. No wiggle room. So, but notice this. The Lord is speaking directly to Moses. And when Moses leaves, notice who stays behind? Joshua. Joshua. I love reading in the Bible, watching Moses and Joshua. Because you guys know, Joshua is going to be the one who's going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land when Moses couldn't do it. And Joshua was Moses' apprentice. Joshua stayed in the tabernacle of meeting, the tent of meeting, while Moses was doing other things. He was waiting there. When Moses was up on Mount Sinai, Joshua was hanging out somewhere around there waiting for Moses, learning, being ministered to, being discipled and grown up. And I keep saying it, I keep saying it every time I find it, each one of you need to have somebody you're pouring into. And a lot of people, people who you're bringing along, life's journey, and you're saying, look, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You guys, this is what it means to be a godly man, a godly husband. This is what it means to be like a godly employee. If you're a business owner, you've got some young entrepreneurs, like, look, let me teach you how to be a, a, a businessman on mission. You older gals, you need to grab the younger gals and say, look, this is what it means to be a woman of God. You younger gals, there's unsaved gals. You need to be like, look, man, you just need to just chill with me. And we're going to talk about what it means to, to see yourself as God sees you and to value yourself the way God values you. Everybody should be pouring into people. That's the way the church has always grown. Disciples making disciples who make disciples. And Moses poured, drilled so down deep into the life of Joshua that God used Joshua in even more profound ways than Moses. And it, this is a passion for me because I was blessed to have a, a few pastors along the way who just grabbed me and be like, you're coming with me. I remember I, I was a brand new Christian. I looked about the exact way I look now, except I was about 15 years younger, still wickedly handsome. I'm grateful. I'm, you guys are like, yeah, all right. But literally, this pastor, he didn't say to me, he didn't say, hey, you know, Daniel, I'm going to take you and you're going to be my disciple. I'm going to teach you how to follow. He didn't do any of that stuff. He's like, listen, you know, I was young. I was playing music for a living. He's like, look, you want a hot dog? You know, I'm a musician. I'm like, free lunch? Yeah. The pastor of a church, he's like, listen, he's like, I got to go to Costco. If you could go to Costco with me, we got to pick up some stuff for the church. I'll buy a hot dog. Sound like a good deal to me. Free lunch, right? I didn't realize it, but we're, we're out there in Costco, and I'm like, so why are we picking up all this stuff? He's like, well, we need this for this, and this for this. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's a church. I mean, we have services on Sunday. He's like, no, no, service on Sunday is one thing, but we do all these other things. And, he, and he's talking to me about ministry and about life. He's like, so where are you at with Jesus? I'm like, well, I just started walking with him. And it's not like this weird, like, you're my apprentice, you know? Because I would have run for the hills, and you would have too, Right? But when a free hot dog's involved, you know, it's fun. I've used that trick before, man. Costco's a great place. Speaking of which, I was so bummed yesterday. Oh, but I was like, ah, my, you know what my favorite pizza is? Costco pizza. I'm like, like I'm Italian. Costco pizza, seriously? That's, sorry, I'm, I'm way off the track now. But like, you can disciple someone for a buck sixty at Costco. And they got couches you can sit on. Yeah, you ever just go get I never I, If you're ever in Costco, look at the couch, you might see me there with an ice cream cone talking to somebody, you know? Great. But that's how discipleship happens. You just invite someone along for life with you. 
And it was super cool because after that pastor, I moved to the Bay Area. And then another pastor was like, hey, you want to go get lunch? I'm like, yeah, I like church. Everyone feeds me lunch. And we would just talk, and he would talk to me about the Lord. And then, you know, I, my family was far away, and the pastor and his wife were like, hey, why don't you come over for Christmas dinner? I'm like, can I bring something? Like, yeah, you can cook if you want. I'm like, sure. I learned what a godly family looked like by sitting at their kitchen table, watching the way they prayed, watching the way they did things. I'd never seen anything like this before. Just by simply somebody inviting me to be part of their life. That's what Moses did for Joshua. Moses was all deep in the things of God, and Joshua, the son of Nun, was just hanging out, watching, catching what God was doing. And brother, sister, please surround yourself with people you can pour into and find people who will pour into you. That's how disciples are made. They're not born, they're built. And we all, as the people of God, have a mandate to be pouring down into other people. Now, in verse 12, look at what it says. So then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found grace in my sight. Verse 13, now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. Verse 14, he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us, so that we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Now, notice the repetition of things like, I know you by name, I have found favor, I found grace in your sight. See, Moses is concerned, because God tells him to go, and God's saying, look, I'm not going with you. So Moses, right away, with that piece of information, comes to the Lord, and he says, Lord, you tell me to bring up the people, but who's going to go with us? And he says, Lord, have I found favor in your sight? You tell me you know me by name? And if I have found grace in your sight, favor, unmerited, if you know me by name, Lord, then I want you to consider this, we're your people. Your grace is upon us. See, we talked about this two weeks ago. Moses is praying God's own words to him. He's saying, Lord, this is what you've told us. you told us you know us. you told us we found favor. Show me your way. Show me what's going on. Show me what you're doing. And then God says in verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. See, this is the way you and I want to roll through life right there. We're saying, Lord, if I found grace in your sight in Jesus, I want to know your ways. I want to be your person. And we want God to say, look, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus is real. Discipleship can happen in subtle ways. Today, Pastor Daniel spoke about his own personal experience as a young believer and how ministering to others is as simple as inviting them out for a hot dog. 
God uses these simple interactions in life-changing ways. It's our joy to bring you Jesus is Real Radio each day here on this station. We want to give you the opportunity to partner with us here at Jesus is Real Radio so we can bring the ministry to as many people as possible. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you can help spread God's Word by becoming a monthly supporter or by giving a one-time gift. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when we'll hear what it means for Moses to intercede on behalf of the people. If this sounds familiar, it's because Jesus does the same thing on our behalf constantly. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through his series entitled Tabernacle. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio. Because